Well, it's an exciting time to me because um, I know if the Lord has us teaching on this stuff that He's got answers. Elsewise, He wouldn't say have a meeting on marriage. Marriages can be good. It can be great. Uh, so we're going to start out and, and start talking about some things that I feel like is going to be an answer to a lot of questions about why things go awry and the way they do. I know when Keith and I very first got married or when we first started dating and stuff, we had a major plan for our lives. We knew what we were going to do. Now, I know you can picture this real good, and some of you have heard Keith tell about it before, but he was going to be a fighter. He was going to kick you in the head, and he could do it pretty good. He used to practice it a lot. He used to get under our carport and her, his parents' carport and, and uh, do what was called, let's see if I'm telling it right, a spinning hook kick. Flying spinning hook kick. Yes, a flying spinning hook kick. Yes. And he'd do it and I'd watch him and, and sometimes his foot would slide out from underneath him and he'd miss the bag and sometimes. But he'd do it night and day until he got it. I mean, and he practiced it, and he practiced it, and he practiced it. And, I mean, every move until he got them exact the way that he was supposed to get them. So it was no surprise to me when we transferred to ministry that everything had to be exact. Because that's just the personality that he had. And that's the way your personality is. If it's exacting in one area or if it's sloppy in one area, it's going to carry over to the other area. It's just your personality. It's who you are. And so he was going to be a fighter. And when I was younger, I guess I was probably 10 or 11 years old, two summers in a row, I had had these major tragic catastrophes in my life. One summer, uh, we were there, and it was kind of like our celebration Sunday, and it was the 4th of July, and my appendix ruptured. And um, I, this whole ordeal, I won't get into the whole thing, but anyway, I was paralyzed and they rushed me to the hospital and stuff and thought I was going to die. Well, then the next year, I was in the back of a truck and uh, I wound up in a body cast because of some things. But anyway, I wound up being in the hospital for a good bit of time both those times, so I decided I fell in love with the nurses, so I was going to be a nurse. Okay? So, here we are. He was going to be a fighter and I was going to be a nurse. I had signed up to uh, go to school and be a nurse. Well, turn with me, please. To Proverbs 16.9 in the NIV. It says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. The New Century says it this way, and I think it'll help you a little bit. People may make plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what they will do. So, it wasn't long after we kind of had made these plans, I ran into this guy that really already did have a beard. I'm not kidding you. When we met, like, seventh grade. It wasn't that long after I got out of my body cast. I went to school, and... I ran into this guy that had a beard at school because he was being rebellious and didn't want to shave it off. I'll tell all of his secrets. He's bowing his head, ducking his head. 
Am I right, Gerald? Yes. And so anyway, we've been together ever since then, you know. And uh, But all through high school and stuff, that's what he was going to do, and I was going to be a nurse. And, and so we graduated. And after we graduated, though, Right after we graduated, and I don't recommend this to anyone, that's why we have the first series or so on our marriage meetings about how not to have a good marriage. (laughs) Okay, no. Uh, We got married two days out of high school, and we were 17 years old. And But part of that, I think, was bad, but part of it, I think, was good because we grew up together. And we knew each other. But right after we got married, the Lord started dealing with Keith about some things. And we were going to church a lot. And he started dealing with him and started tugging on him about what we were supposed to do. And it wasn't him being a fighter. And he was discontented. And because he was discontented, I became discontented. And so at that point in time, we had to make a choice in our life. Were we going to follow our plans or were we going to follow God's plans? Well, I'm so thankful today that we began to follow God's plans for our life. And through the years, the Lord has helped us to follow his plans for our life. And people start out their life and they have these Plans and they have these dreams of things that they're going to do and they're going to live their life and do these things. And then people get married and a lot of their plans change. How many of you in here thought you were going to do something different than what you're doing today? Yeah, most every hand in here thought they were going to do something different than what they're doing today. Well, I want to tell you a story that most of you know, but before I do, let's look at this real quickly. Last night, I I was amazed at how Keith kept setting me up for tonight. I thought, is he going to go that direction? Because the first scripture he read was, "Therefore therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And I thought, where's he going? And he was talking about it takes two. Well, I saw immediately... Most people don't realize this, but in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall? Well, already there's four places that it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, or shall be joined unto his wife. It's in Genesis, it's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in Ephesians. It says in, in Genesis, leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Matthew says... Uh, For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Mark says he shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Ephesians says, shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So that means that when they leave their father and mother, then their life changes and they too become one flesh. I think parents do their kids sometimes a disservice in setting their future course for them. 
Because all their lives they implant thoughts in their head, you're going to be a this and you're going to be a that, and you're going to be a this and you're going to be a that. When, when they get married, their whole course could change because God says you're going to be a this. And he has a plan for them. E- even godly parents can do that because a lot of times when people get married, their whole life takes a different direction and a different course for them. And they go off thinking, well, we've really messed up because we're not doing what mama and daddy want us to do. But that's not the way it is. When you get married, you two are one flesh and God called you, like Keith was talking about, graces that support each other to do a job for Him. So, look at this verse. And Keith left this one out last night, so I thought I'd read it to you. He read the other one, so I'll let you read this one. Deuteronomy 32:30, And then we're going to get right into what I want to get at. I just wanted to lay you a little bit up front before we did. Deuteronomy 32:30 in the NIV. You all know it. Because he, he told all the other parts about two, so I'll just, I'll just tell you this one. He saved me a lot of time. <laughs> if we, you know it. If one man can put a thousand to flight, what can two do? So two of us together can put... He was saying one plus one is three. Well, this says two can put 10,000 10, to flight. So when Keith and I joined forces together, we weren't just putting one and one together. How many people have been ministered to because he didn't become a fighter and I didn't become a nurse? One plus one? Or has there possibly been 10,000? Possibly? For sure. There's been more. There's been more. So that's what I want to get into today about the title of my message is, I Have a Dream. How many of you in here, when you got married, had a dream that you wanted to fulfill with your life? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. Now, uh, keep your hands up just a minute. Don't be quick. How many of you, that dream has totally come to pass? See? Um... One, two people, three people, but they're still young too. (laughs) So I want to get into some things and help you to see you may be more fulfilling some of your dreams than you think. So let's get started and we'll go there. How many of you remember the story of a dreamer? Yeah. You don't have to be so quiet in here. You can just yell it right out. Say, Joseph! Yeah, there you go. Joseph. Okay. Turn with me then to Genesis 37. I know Karen knows it. It's her favorite story, and she didn't even say a word. Joseph. Genesis 37, verse 5. This is the NIV I'll start with, and we'll switch over to the King James. It says, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen, listen, I had a dream. We were binding the sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. 
And his brother said, glory to God, that's going to be so fun. (laughs) No, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. They couldn't wait to hear it. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father and as well as all of his brothers, they rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous. But listen to this last part. Even though his father rebuked him, listen to what he said. But his father kept the matter in his mind. So Joseph had a dream. Just like you may have had a dream. Some dreams are godly dreams. Some dreams are things God put it in your heart. It would be just exactly like God placed in Keith and my heart that we were supposed to leave where we were and go to Bible school and begin the ministry like we did. And we took the step to do it. Now, Joseph started out on his dream. Now, let's follow through and see how Joseph's dream progressed in his life. See how God's hand was on Joseph's dream. Now, when you have a dream, and it's a God dream, and God's hand is upon it. How many of you think that God gave Joseph this dream? Hold your hands up high. Don't be shy. Keep them up just a second. So the first thing that happens when God gives you a dream is you wind up in a pit. Okay? So let's look at it. He said in uh, verse 16, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase. We're not going to read it all. His father sent him out to check on his brothers, and he said, I'm out seeking my brothers. This is uh, verse 16. And he found them in Dothan. In verse 18, it says, uh, when his brothers saw him coming afar off, they said, oh, there comes our brother. We love him so much. Let's fix him something to eat so he'll be ready when he gets here. Uh Uh-uh. They conspired against him to slay him or kill him. And they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Let us slay him and cast him into the pit. And we'll say some evil beast devoured him. And we'll see what happens to his dreams. And Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands. And he said, let's not kill him. So they just took him and threw him into the pit. So let's just stop right here just a minute. So you had a dream and you got married. And you fell into the pit. (laughs) You can laugh. Because a lot of people, when they're going to get married, they, they love the idea of the ceremony. But they don't think about what comes after the ceremony. 
They don't think about now you don't get to go out and have just party time every day. You got to get a nine to five and go to work every day and provide for your house and get a house and pay bills. And the next thing you know, your wife comes up to you and says, oh, we're going to have a baby. And now you're in a, in a pit. And where's your dreams going? What happened to your dream? What happened to Joseph's dream while he was in this pit? Let me tell you what happened to Joseph's dream. Joseph, without even knowing what faith was, was a faith man. Because Joseph had to keep his joy and had to keep his peace because he got up out of that pit. He didn't die in that pit. And he didn't moan and groan in that pit. And he didn't say, woe is me in that pit. That is part of the biggest deal about being in a pit. That's what happens to people when they get in their marriage and uh, immediately... They totally forget about their dreams. They totally forget about their future. And the first bad thing that happens in their lives, they start going the other direction. Instead of stepping towards their future, they think, I can just forget about that. And they turn and go the other direction. Because they think they're in a pit that they can never get out of. When God didn't put you in a pit... He's looking for your faith to get out of the pit. He's looking for your joy to say, Hey, this is not a bad thing. I've got a good-looking wife or a good-looking husband, and he blessed me with this child. He that finds a wife finds a a good thing. Now, that was only this section right here that said that. So you're in a pit. Are you going to stay in the pit? Are you going to get out of the pit? Let's see what Joseph did. So they sat down to bread, verse 25, and a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead, and they were going down to Egypt, and um, they decided, you know what we're going to do? Let's not just let him die in there. Let's make some money off of him. We can, instead of just letting him die, we'll get some cash off of him. So they took him and they sold him. So now he's a slave. I won't ask this question. I won't make, I'll ask the question, but I won't make you raise your hand. How many have ever felt like you were a slave in your marriage? They're going... Slaves to just doing, you get up in the morning, you go to work, you do the same old job, you come home, you eat your dinner, you turn on the TV, you go to bed, you get up the next day, you go to work, you come home, you hand your wife your paycheck. Oh yeah, right? That's what Keith always does. Isn't that what happens? Or a matter of fact, he never even sees it, you know, to hand it to me. Or whatever the case would be. But you understand, he was a slave then to these people. 
And that's what our lives could feel like, just being a slave to the mundane of doing what needed to be done. But did Joseph get slaveitis? Did he get into the mundane of just doing this thing with them? Did he lose his joy? Did he lose his dream? Ever. Ever, ever, ever. If God gave you a dream, it doesn't matter if there's a pit or if you're a slave. Do you think about this time Joseph might have been thinking, Now God, you gave me that dream. And I know if it's you, you could have just taken me from here to where they could just be bowing down to to me right now. That would just be grand with me. I must have missed it somewhere. I must have blew it somewhere along the way. I had to mess up. I, I, I had to mess up your plan somewhere. But was this all in God's plan? Was he right on course to where God was taking him? Maybe you're right on course to where God's taking you. Just because you was in the pit and just because you've been a slave to that boss and doing what he tells you to do doesn't mean you're not just right smack dab in the middle of where God wants you to be right now. Maybe you're just exactly in the perfect plan that God has for you to be right now. Let's keep going. Verse 36. And then the Midianites sold him in Egypt under Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. And then uh, chapter 39, verse 1. Then Joseph was brought down to Egypt and to Potiphar. And then verse 2. This is the part I want you to see. Now he's with Potiphar. Look at verse 2. Get you a marker, highlight it, star it. You got it? And the Lord was what? And he was broke and sad and crying all the time. He was a slave. He had to be. He had to be depressed. He was this man's servant. He could no way be in the plan of God. He could be no no way getting closer to his dream. He had to be out of God's will. Not according to this. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him. And he made him overseer of his house. And all that he put his hand to. Now let me ask you a question. Does it matter how you get up 
and go to that mundane nine to five or seven to three or six to seven or whatever the time is for your job every day? Does it matter what you're doing on your road to your dream as to whether your dream ever comes true or whether or not you stay in the pit or whether you prosper along your way or whether you're broke along your way or whether things go good for you along your way? What makes the difference along the way? The way you see things along the way. The Lord was with Joseph because all along the way, Joseph worshipped the Lord. And he kept his victory all the way. And he said, Lord, I know you're with me. I love you, God. Do you know, people come all the time and they say, These people are just against us. They're talking about me. They're doing this against me. They say this about me. They're. And the first thing that crosses my mind is a scripture. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So, if things are not going well in your life, Whose fault is it? You're too quiet. Don't don't get that quiet. (laughs) Say, hallelujah, glory to God. (laughs) Something. But you see what I'm saying? When we stay victorious and we're happy doing what we're doing and we're joyous dealing with all the things that we're having to deal with, maybe your boss is mean and gruff and... And all of my employees are on that side of the room. Well, there's a few over here. Yeah. Y'all. And you have to put up with everything that they tell you to do. And you have to do what you don't like doing. It matters your attitude before you get there. As to what's going to happen to you throughout. As to whether you're going to prosper or whether you're just going to be a grumbler and complainer. And if you're a grumbler and a complainer, then the Lord can't prosper everything you put your hand to. And it matters then what happens in your marriage. It's a direct come back into your house if all day long all you've done has been bitter at work and grumble at work and everybody at work don't like you. Because you're a grumbler, grumbler, grumbler. What do you think about Joseph if he had been married and he went home and he was prosperous and everybody liked him and he was the favorite of everybody and he came home and he was just smiling and happy? What's his house going to be like? It's going to be a house full of joy and a house full of peace. His wife's going to say, Honey, you know what? I saw this great big yellow diamond that I like. He's going to say, Oh, go buy it. Why? Because he's prosperous. You're not going to have to have a fight over that new pair of shoes she bought because you're going to be so prosperous. You're not going to have to have a fight over that bass boat because why? You're so prosperous. There's not going to be a fight over all the little tidbit things that you're having the fight over because... You already are so prosperous because the Lord's hands upon you and you're on your
your way to your dream. But people, the first little thing that happens in their life, they assume they're out of the will of God. They assume they're off course. They assume the first little attack that happens to them, we're doing something wrong, we're doing something wrong, what are we doing? We missed it. We, I married the wrong person. We're getting a divorce. I should never marry them. I married the wrong person. We're in a pit. We can't get out of this pit. We're in We're in a rut. We can't get out. And all you should be doing is kicking the devil in the tail and telling him to get out of there and smiling and keeping your joy and getting yourself up out of that pit and going into that job so that you can have some joy and spread it all around everybody else. Don't you think everybody wanted to be Joseph's friend? If you were living when Joseph was there, would you want to be his friend? Well, sure you would. He had control of everything. Do you think he's laying in bed at night saying, Oh, God, you gave me that dream, and it's just never coming to pass. What, what is it? What is it? What, what did I do? Where did I miss it? Where, where did I mess up? What, tell me, tell me, God, what did I do? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, where did we miss it? Where did we mess up? What did we do? Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, what did we do? Where did we mess up? And if you keep every single day saying, mess up, 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 you're going to be a mess up. But if you keep getting up every day saying, God, we're on our way. We're on our way to that dream. We're getting there. We're going. We're going. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. We're on our way. We're on our way. We are on our way. We're getting there. I don't care how ugly my boss is. I don't care what they smell like. We're on our way. Glory to God. Here, you want, any, you want this today? I brought you some donuts today. Here, I brought you. I saw this in the store and I bought it for you today. I love you, boss. Yeah, you're nicest boss. Yeah. Yeah. You might as well. You have to put up with them. Might as well make them have a good day while you're putting up with them. Right? Uh-huh. So here he is. Just when he thought things was going okay. Just when he thought he was going to get a break, he was going to get things, you know, to settle down just a little bit. Things were smoothing out. He's breathing good. He's in charge of everything. (sighs) You've had times like that in your life, right? Things kind of just settle down, get a little calm. Here she comes. Another trap. And if you think the devil does not have traps set for you, think again. But you don't have to fall into them. You don't have to be his prey, just like he didn't. Yeah, he fell into the trap, but what happened? He didn't fall into the trap, but he wound up paying for the trap by going to jail. Now, a lot of people would have thought when they wound up in jail, okay, it's over. 
I for sure messed up and this dream will never, ever, ever come to pass. And you know he had to lose his joy then. Because the jails then were not like the jails today. They didn't get three squares and a nice clean cell and a nice light that they could read by and, you know, sending you emails and, and doing all the things they can do in prison today. It's not like that. He's in jail. How many of you think he lost his joy? Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Let's see right here. 39:21. Start at verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. Read the next part. Okay, now for the ten people that read it, you don't have to read it again. Now for everybody else. (laughs) But the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him what? Mercy. And gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed into Joseph's hand all the prisoners and all that were in prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made to? The Lord made to? Surely not. Surely God can't make you prosper in prison. Well, then surely God, if he can make you prosper in prison, he can make you prosper at your job. If he can make you prosper in prison and give you favor in prison, then surely God can give you favor at your job and make you prosper at your job and make things go well for you at your job. And make things go well for you in your household. Does it matter how we react and what we do? Does it matter how we think about things? Does it matter if every little attack we get we lose our joy and we curl up in a bundle and we cry for six months? Do you think he would have been over this prison if he had gone in there and said, Woe is me. Absolutely not. He went in there with the joy of the Lord and trust a countenance that people wanted to be around. They wanted to turn things over to him. They could see the Lord on him or elsewise they would not have done that. They could see God in him. And you don't tell people about God that way. You show people about God. Because you go in there preaching to people about God, they're going to run from you. But it's the life that you're living that draws people into you. And that's what he did. And the people turned everything over to him. I'm sure he could have just left. Being in control of it, you know he probably had a key here or he could have done this or he could have done that. But he didn't. 
God prospered him where he was. Do you think he forgot about his dream while he was in prison? Do you think he wondered, was he on the path that God had for him because he was in prison? How many times have we thought, okay, there's no way now, God, that we can fulfill our dream now here from prison? But he could. And he was well on his way. He was well on his way to fulfilling his dream and right on the path God had for him. So he went on, and he thought he was getting out. You know the story. The butler and the baker dreamed a dream, and they promised him they was going to get him right out. Anybody ever promise you anything? You lose your joy. You get mad at them. You sue them. Matters what you do. Matters what you do. He kept his joy. He kept going. And it came to pass at the end of two whole days later, verse 41. What? what? Oh, 41.1, yeah. 41.1. Keith will keep me straight. That's why I have him. (laughs) He keeps me straight all the time. That's his grace. (laughs) He's been keeping me straight since I was a young chick. 41.1. And it came to pass at the end of two whole days. Oh. So he had to stay in there another two whole years. Two whole years. Then 41.9, see what happens? The butler says this to Pharaoh. "Uh, I do remember my faults this day. Yeah. And so he told him. And... Here we go to 41.39. I hope you're getting this. It's not just a story. It's not just a story. This whole thing is in here in this much detail for us to realize the Old Testament is an example for us. It's for us to understand that these things happen to him To show us he was right on God's path and his course the whole way, the whole time. And God prospered him in every step along the way. He was right in the palm of his hand the whole time. And the devil has convinced so many people in here. You've had marriage troubles. You've had problems with your kids. You've lost your job. You've lost your house. You've lost this. You've had problem after problem after problem after problem. And you can't no way still be in the will of God. You can't no way be thinking about fulfilling that dream. He's just a plain, big, fat liar. You should know that's his name, liar. That's his name. You just need to jump up and say, I'm on my way, I'm on my way, I'm on my way. And know that you're right on the path that God has for you. Just get it going. So verse 39 of chapter 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all these things, there's none so discreet and so wise as you are. Verse 40. You'll be over my house now. And according to the word, shall all my people be ruled only in the throne 
will I be greater than you. Now that's saying something. 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And he took off his ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in his vestures of fine linen and and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot he had. And he cried before him and he bowed his knee. And uh, he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. So when it got the darkest for Joseph, what happened? Do you think the prison part was the darkest part for him? He came right out of that prison to ruling the land. You missed it. You missed it. He came right out of the darkest part of his life to ruling the land. And that's what the devil don't want you to see. All of these things that you're making it through is giving you the wisdom that you need to rule the land. All these things about you getting up out of that pit, it just made you stronger. All these things that you learned by serving that boss, it just made you wiser. All these times that you just couldn't give in to your flesh and yell back at your boss, it just gave you all the things that you need to be able to rule the land. And that's what was happening to Joseph all along the way. He was getting every tool and every piece of equipment that he needed to be able to stand up there and rule the land. He wasn't ready to rule the land when he left home. But all along the way, all those things were happening in his life. And he began to get ready to rule the land. All those things that were happening to him. But he kept his joy all along the way. And every bad thing that happened to him, he didn't roll up in a little ball and fall into pieces. He knew who he was in the Lord. So that you don't just think that it's an Old Testament thing, I'm going to tell you a new one to help you remember it. Does anybody in their life ever heard of someone named Paul? Did Paul go through some things after he saw that bright and shining light? Was he on his way to some place? Did everything go, like Brother Hagin used to say, did he just walk on a bed full of roses all his way there? No, he didn't. He did not. And when Jesus told him to cross over to the other side, did they encounter something? But I want to tell you this. If you don't encounter some of those things, you're going to miss out on some of the greatest miracles that you will ever see in your life. Peter never would have walked on the water without that. You'll miss out on learning how to use your faith. And I told you about Keith and I. When we left home, we were like Ned and the first reader. I don't think we'd, the first time we left there, I don't know how much we'd ever been much out of the state. And we went off to Bible school. We had to believe God for everything that we had. And we thought for sure during the first year when we were starving and we had one shriveled up carrot and an onion in the refrigerator, we had missed God. (laughs) But you know what? We didn't. And you would have thought for sure 
the first few years in our marriage when it was hell on earth that we had missed God. But you know what? We didn't. And you'd have thought for sure when our bills got so high stacked up that we were about to lose our house that we had missed God. But you know what? We didn't. And you'd have thought for sure when we started this church here and everybody around us told us we'd lost our mind. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't. Every person in this room has had things that they've had to overcome. Every person in this room. But it matters what you do about the things that you had to overcome. I forget, we were flying over here the other day, and I was looking out the window of that beautiful airplane that we have, and I was thinking about this service. And the Lord said this, everybody in here that has a scar on your body someplace, raise your hand. Okay? Locate that scar. Locate it. Locate it. Locate your scar. Okay, you got it? Everybody got it? Some of them may be seen, some of them may be not seen, but you know the general vicinity of them or something like that, okay? Don't undress here. (laughs) We'll have to haul you out. Now, some scars in here are real light scars. Some scars are very deep scars. Some scars cut to the bone, you know? Some scars are new scars. They've been there a week or two. Some scars are 30, 40, 50, depending on how old you are, 60 years old. I want you to take your finger and I want you to press on that scar. Press as hard as you can on that scar. Does it hurt? What? It doesn't hurt? It doesn't hurt you to press on a scar? then why are you letting the scars in your life rule your life? That's what the Lord told me on the airplane on the way here. I had never thought about that. Why are people letting the scars in their life rule their life? Scars heal. And there may be a mark, and it may be a great big mark. But you should be able to press on it and it not hurt you anymore. Because there's something bigger than that scar in your life now. And his name is Jesus. And you may have had some severe marriage troubles. You may have had some knockout, drag out marriage troubles. But at some point in your life, it's going to have to be a scar that goes away. And you're going to have to be able to press on it and it not hurt you anymore. And you're going to have to, you're still going to see it. You're still going to know it's there. Can you see that scar? It's still there, isn't it? You still know it's there. But it can't hurt you the same way that it used to hurt you. Unless you keep picking at it. If you keep picking at that scar... Keep sticking a needle in it or sticking something in it and poking at it. It can hurt. 
But it doesn't have to. It can heal up forever and go away. Forever and ever and ever. Now, there's people in here that's had dreams. And I think all dreams that are from God should come to pass. And if the devil has gotten you off course, or you think he's gotten you off course, maybe you're right in the plan that God has for you. But now I'm going to read you a verse that is not politically correct. So, you might as well, ladies, put your feet under the chairs. Because it's still in the Bible. And you can't like one part of the Bible that says he'll make you rich and meet all your needs on this page and not like the next page. And you can't like the part that says by his stripes you were healed and not like the other pages. All the pages are pages that he put in there. So... Here we go. Ephesians 5.23. I think you're going to get some light on this, though. I think it's going to help you. For the husband is the head of the wife. Can you hear a pin dropping? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. He's the head, and he's the Savior. Say that with me. He's the head, and he's the Savior. Now, I want to tell you a couple of things. Well, I'll finish reading it. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I wrote down a few instances, and I want to get your opinion on them. Are you ready? Okay, for these 25 people, we'll talk. Would things possibly have gone differently if Adam had told Eve not to eat the apple. Ponder that in your heart. Could he have done differently on that? Think about this one just a little bit. What about if Abraham had not, I'm going to say this funny so you wanted to sleep with the handmaiden. Would there not have been a nation maybe that shouldn't have been born? Okay, which wife would you guys want? (laughs) Noah's wife? You know Noah's wife had to support Noah. She had to be. Because everybody was calling him Looney Tunes. You know it, they were. They were saying, that crazy fool, what is rain? You know they were. And she stood by him. Or, what if, this scenario, what if Lot had not pitched his tents toward Sodom 
And what if Lot had said, hey, I'm the head. We're not staying here. We're going back to Abraham. He would have made his wife so mad she might not have spoken to him for six months. But is it possible? Is there a chance she might still be alive? Could he have made her so firecracker mad that she threw the dishes and she threw everything in the house and she got mad? But, but, she was still alive a year later. What about Abraham? Do you think he was smart or not, not telling Sarah about taking their son to offering him on the altar? <laughs> What what do you think she would have said? Huh? But I hear all the time. I hear this. If I've heard it once, I've heard it 5,000 times. And that's a lot of times. But I can't make my wife do anything. Nobody said you had to make your wife do anything. But I will tell you this. If God tells you to do something, you better be getting your little self up and going offering that son up on the altar. You didn't ha- he didn't have to make her agree at all. But he knew he was going to have an issue, but he still did it anyway. See, half the people are going, they're making faces at me. If God tells you to move to Timbuktu and your wife says, I ain't going... What should you do? You should play Moses. <laughs> and say, honey, I'll see you when I get done. You're going to miss out on all the miracles. Because Zipporah missed out on everything. If God gave you a dream and he told you you were supposed to fulfill this dream, You are supposed to do it together. One can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. Keith and I work so much better together. We're we're constantly doing things together. I know what Phil we're gonna do this means. Means you're gonna do it. (laughs) You and your gang and your team, we're gonna start this church. I'll preach in it. Y'all go get it done. We all know, y'all all know that by now, don't you? Yes, yes. No, he prays it out and he gets all the direction and he does all the preaching and he does all the traveling and I get to stay home. But you understand what I'm saying. As a team, God uses you. But there's only one head. But now don't be unable. Do you know what a navel is? Don't be a guy that your wife has to go and talk behind your back to keep you from getting killed. Because you're so stinking stupid and stubborn. What happened to him in the end? 
Read your Bible. That's what I have to say about that. So you don't be a Nabal. Because Nabal died. And she got the good looking man with all the money. It's the truth. God has given us a brain for a reason, guys. And he, what Keith said last night is so what we do. I pray, he prays. God gives us a vision and a plan and a dream of what we're supposed to fulfill and what we're supposed to do. And we set our faith on it and we take steps towards it and we do it for God. And it's not a, a who's seen more and who gets more and who does this more and who does that more. It's about, it, it becomes about the people. And if all you're caring about is me being seen more, or me getting more money, or me having more things, or you've got the wrong vision in mind. Or somebody seeing you more than they do your spouse? Are you getting more things than your spouse does? God can't make you blessed and make you prosper. God is looking for people like Joseph that wasn't just looking out for his own sake, that's looking out to be a help to all the people around him. And when you lose this to to me being the one that everybody sees and everybody is attracted to, then God will finish your dream. And he'll be able to use your spouse and he'll be able to use the one next to you. But when it's always you that has to be the one that has the last word or be the one that's seen or be the one that gets the glory or gets the biggest gift or gets the biggest this or gets the biggest that, God can't use that. And and all these places where it said, and God or the Lord made him to prosper, you fight yourself and beat yourself coming and going trying to make yourself prosper. You'll work and work and work and you'll be worn out and sick and tired and you'll come home and you'll take out all those frustrations on your spouse. But when you do it God's way and you look to Him and you give Him the glory for everything that's going on in your life. Maybe it was one little small thing today. Glory to God, I wasn't sick today. Glory to God, my boss didn't chew me out today. That's a good thing. Glory to God, I only had to do 6,000 emails today instead of seven. Whatever. Find something to be grateful for. Find something to be happy about. I tell the ladies all the time when we're having the ladies meeting, find something to be thankful for for your spouse. Find something, even if he's just combed his hair or brushed his teeth. Be thankful. Or that he didn't wear plaid shirts and a polka dot pants, you know? (laughs) Whatever, find something. We've lost our thankfulness. And and God can't make us prosper in what we're doing. It doesn't matter where you are on your course with God. You can be like Joseph in the pit. You can be like him, a slave to something. Get break off those mully grubs from where you are and you could be right on your course and you could be right ready to run the nation the next day if you get that heart right and you get it turned around and going in the right direction for the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. 
This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.